I just want good journalists. At the end of the day, I want good journalists. But let people have the opportunity to show themselves and demonstrate over the years, over time, the people we brought in and where they are, are today. So it's a testament to give someone an opportunity who actually has the skills and talent. One of the most important challenges facing journalism is to create newsrooms that reflect the diversity of the news audience. This is true for the makeup of senior management, the editorial staff, and individual news teams, including the sports desk. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Gregory Lee Jr. is a senior managing editor at The Athletic DC, a subscription-based sports publisher servicing diehard fans. In his 25-year career as a sports journalist, Gregory has made many stops, including NBA.com, The Sun Sentinel in Fort Lauderdale, The Boston Globe, The Washington Post, and The Times-Picayune in New Orleans. He is also a former president of the National Association of Black Journalists. Welcome to the podcast, Gregory. Thank you for having me. Okay, so you've had a pretty varied and stellar career in sports journalism. What, what actually got, it in, got you interested in journalism? Did sports come first, or was it journalism that came first? Actually, sports. Uh, I never knew growing up in New Orleans that I could use my love of sports as a career. I never forget, like, my, I was growing up in my church, and they always come to me asking about the latest sports stats or sports stuff. I was like a kid, but I knew everything about sports. I read everything. I knew every sport, every Super Bowl <laughs> growing up. I knew a lot about every sport. So everyone would come to me with my ideas on sports. So I always talk about sports, but never thought I could make something in my life with it. I always thought I was going to go to law school. I mean, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I like law. I like talking. I like research. So I always thought I was going to be a lawyer. So my parents even thought I was going to go to law school. So they thought I had the career track, but they thought like sports was a hobby. And I got into sports journalism in, yeah, actually in college because I started major mass communication and, and I was going to be in broadcast. And uh, I did a couple of TV shows as a freshman. But then I saw the newspaper was, having, was struggling with some of the stories. So I talked to the editor about it. They wanted me to say, well, since you see all these problems, why don't you write for us? So I said, okay, fine. So um, I got into sports journalism like in my freshman year in college. So you said that when you were young, you, you had an interest in all types of sports. Was there something, was there a particular sport that you, you were mostly focused on, or, or was it really kind of, I, I love all sports? I loved all sports, but in particular, I loved, the Saints, loved Saints football growing up in New Orleans and LSU football. So those are the two things I really focused on growing up as a kid, but I also followed other teams. And since we didn't have a baseball team, I was a Red Sox fan <laughs> So since, since I was a kid, so... Everyone asks me, how a kid from New Orleans like the Boston Red Sox? I'm like, well, I like Roger Clemens. I like Jim Rice. And, you know, that was that. So in your career, you had the opportunity to cover, uh, you know, several, you know, well, I guess a lot of, of big events. You uh, you covered the Boston Celtics 2018 NBA title run. And uh, also you were the onsite editor for the Summer Olympics in Beijing. You know, what were your, your thoughts about doing that? Well, I think from the Celtics point, point of view, I love basketball, and I had a great you know, team of riders. I was I was covering a team when Doc Rivers' team lost sixty something games. So just watching how you know at that time Danny Ainge was trying to build a team, running kids. I get trying to build a team, but I think what happened was being in Boston, they were start they were winning. The Red Sox won two World Series in '04 and '07. The Patriots had won a number of Super Bowls, so there was a lot of pressure on the local teams to try to win. So Danny Ainge just scrapped that youth movement and threw all his chips by bringing in the big three. And then as soon as the big three came in, they won the championship. And they've been winning games ever since. So seeing the Celtics win that championship, you know, after not having a championship in over 20 years, 
It was interesting to watch that team, especially during that playoff run, because in the first round in Atlanta, they won seven games against Atlanta. They won seven games in every series to the finals when they won in six. But it was just interesting to see those veterans come together with Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen. And then you had a young Ray John Ronda coming up. Then you had Big Baby. Uh, then you had Kendrick Perkins. So working all those world players in, James Posey, and then bringing late, in, bringing late P.J. Brown onto the team to help solidify that bench. And then he made key plays in the finals. So just watching that, that championship run and seeing how the Celtics uh, fans galvanized around that run and actual subsequent championship was a, a good thing to cover. It was actually fun to see that uh, come together. So what about being in Beijing? I mean, you didn't necessarily – yeah, you didn't have a home team. It was three weeks there. It was, you know, I, I planned the logistics too as well. That was part of my job too, getting the hotel, making sure that we're accredited. It was just a whole long process to get there. And then we get there with that major news story about um, volleyball coach, U.S. volleyball coach was murdered during that time. So we had to cover that. That's the first big news of, the, of that Olympics, uh, covering that. So I was on that front page of the, at the Boston Globe. Then, of course, this is Usain, uh, Usain Bolt's coming out party uh, during the Olympics. The United States basketball team won another gold medal, but it was a struggle. Kobe Bryant actually had to get him back out of the cold in the fourth quarter. It was just an interesting, interesting time. I actually covered stories. I was actually not only editing, but I was like covering the United States boxing team. So I was covering a, a couple of local uh, boxers who were going at, who were boxing during that time. So I had to deal with that. And then and managing our different reporters during that time, we had eight people there. So it was a, a good experience for me. I was a young editor, so it was like my biggest project. But it was a big, busy summer because I had the Celtics championship and then going into Beijing uh, a few weeks later. So it was a very busy time of traveling and covering two major sporting events uh, for our newspaper. So what is it you like about sports journalism? I mean, you, you just described something where there's a lot of intensity. I mean, with the Celtics, you have obviously a city that loves that team and, and a team that's finding a lot of success. So there's probably a lot of engagement with your audience. But then you have something like the, the Olympics, which, you know, it's you know, who knows what the stories are going to be once you get set up and what sports you're going to be covering. Is it the variety that you like or, you know, what is it you, you like? Every sport has a different type of dynamic, and so you know you're going to go in with something different. So it's always cool to be able to tell a story, different type of stories, different type of sports, different type of, type of fan bases and different type of interests. So you know going in, you're going to have something uh, new to do, not the same routine of a beat uh, with the Olympics. You know, Covering a football team is monotonous and grind. Same thing with basketball and baseball. Covering Olympics is also just how the world comes together. So it's a whole different dynamic. And when you walk, just walking around the Olympic grounds, seeing how sports brings everyone around, unites everyone around the world. So just that experience alone gives you that feeling of uh, the difference of, how to, of covering a sport, covering an event. It was a life-changing experience. It also a, gives me a perspective of how sports worldwide is treated. So let's continue talking about your time at uh, the Boston Globe, because you, while you were there, you helped to make that sports section, sports staff, one of the most diverse in the country. You know, was this something you set out to do or is this what was the story behind that? Well, at the time when I got there, I saw that the staff was uh, it was a veteran staff. Uh, we had a lot of veterans and I felt that we needed a different voice to tell different type of stories and also to give other people opportunities to report. And the Boston Globe, Boston and New England is very uh, insular. It's diverse. It's like, like my entire staff, like my, my entire staff is from the New England area. I'm an outsider. So I had an outside view of sports and covering sports. And there's a lot of people, who, you know, bringing in 
they had an outside view. So at that time, it's, and, and my sports editor was not exposed to a lot of, you know, like especially he, he didn't know some of the people I knew. So I just told him, look, these are great guys who actually are great, great journalists, but you never heard of them. And I challenged my boss at that time to come meet with me in Las Vegas for a sports, uh, for the National Association of Black Journalists Conference and sit down and meet a lot of sports journalists that are there who are looking for opportunities. And there he found uh, Mark Spears. Uh, and he came to cover the Celtics and he covered the Celtics during the championship run. And now Mark Spears covers the NBA for ESPN. Uh, ESPN's undefeated. But that was his big break covering the Celtics. It gave him exposure to the, to the national audience. He would have gotten that beat staying, staying in Denver. Same thing with uh, Monique Jones, who came from Pensacola. And she became uh, a Patriots beat reporter. And now she's uh, an editor. But she just uh, ended her time as a baseball editor for ESPN. Now she's working for the Undefeated as well. So uh, exposing people like that, giving them an opportunity to cover a team, but also give a different perspective. Uh, at that time, we had a woman covering the Red Sox. Uh, we had two black females covering the Patriots. We had an Asian male covering uh, the Bruins. Uh, and then for, let's see, two black females for the Patriots. And the, and the Celtics had two uh, two black African-American men covering. So, yes, we had, uh, for all our major beats, it was just funny how we had minorities and women covering those uh, major teams. And uh, we, had, we had a lot of great talent there doing that. So, and we had young ta- younger talent, too. So it gives a jolt of energy to the veteran staff, which it did. We had a good mix of a, of a staff and uh, credit my boss at the time for embracing that and embracing that. And he, and he loved it. He loved the energy of our team. You know, obviously having a more diverse staff. I mean, there's so many great things about that. You know, you have other people who are represented in those positions. You have different perspectives, different life experiences bringing to the, to those beats. It, you know, is this something that you see is, is still a problem in sports journalism? Is, is it something that's been changing? I mean, you know, what, what's your takeaway? I mean, it's, it's, it's changing a bit, but it, it's a really still an industry. It's like any other industry. It's who you know. And I think journalism and the whole sports realm is, is really bad about it. Hey, look, I, uh, when, I was, when I got a job, my first job in journalism, it was someone I knew leaving the spot and he gave my name. <laughs> and I got lucky and I got a, the AgriClick job. It was my first journalism job, paid job at the time speaking in New Orleans. So I know firsthand that it's about someone you know. And then watching over the years, I started off as a 19-year-old kid. So I worked inside the office and saw how things worked when I was a kid, basically. And I saw how the industry worked in terms of people. It's a, a relationship business. It's about who you know business. So uh, for a lot of minorities and women, they weren't, you know, our sports editors didn't know them. They knew their circle. I used to go to sports editors conventions, the sports editors convention, and you see a bunch of middle-aged white men who knew they had a circle, but you saw their social circle wasn't outside in terms of hiring women and, and minorities on their staff. And I find that if you, as an editor, branch yourself out, you were able to expose yourself to people so you could actually know people and understand them. And when the time comes to hire them, you could make that call and say, hey, oh, I have a relationship with them. I want to hire them. So it's like that in every industry. Uh, I think for any manager in any industry, if this is a priority in terms of wanting a diverse staff, you have to put in the work. And if you don't put in the work, then your staff will reflect whatever it reflects. The other thing, you know, by the example of the people that you had brought in at the at the Globe, I mean, these aren't people who are just brought in because this is a black woman, this is a black man. These are people who knew how to do the job, and once they once they got the job, they were able to succeed. They weren't just being put in place because of their gender or the race, but 
you know, that was part of the package, and they were able to prove themselves. I just want good journalists. At the end of the day, I want good journalists, but let people have the opportunity to show themselves and demonstrate over the years, over time, the people we brought in and where they are, are today. So it's a testament if you give someone an opportunity who actually has the skills and talent and expose them on a, on a greater scale, they'll turn out great journalism. I think uh, once that happens, you'll see more and more people get opportunities. And, and I've seen over the years people get those opportunities and to, uh, to show themselves worthy in our industry. Yeah, and I like the fact that you said that it's really kind of up to the editors and the managers to sort of make, you know, they're the ones who need to make those steps. They're the ones who need to make it a priority and to, you know, widen their circles. If all they know are the, the circle that they've always been drawing on, you know, and maybe the, these other people aren't going to, aren't part of that, you know, they're missing out on a lot. Right. Yeah. And a lot of editors will call me because they know I know that circle, but the thing is, I'm making a point to know the entire spectrum, every white, black, whatever. I want to know who the talented people are because I want them on my team. I expect that every editor, but every editor don't do that. They just email me or call a couple of people who knows the, the lay of the land. Because I make it a point to put the work in. And if I could do that, you could do the same thing. <laughs> That's how I look at it. Now, you mentioned uh, the, the National Association of Black Journalists. That was, you know, how long have you you've been a, a part of that organization? Since forever? I mean, I founded a student chapter in my college, so I've been a part of it since 95, 96, and I've just grown, I grew up through it, so. Yeah, and you've all, you also were the president. Yeah, well. I was the president uh, from 2011 to 2013. That was uh, a very good time for myself, and uh, I'm still very involved right now. Even though I'm not president anymore, I realize uh, I still have some things to do, and I still, especially with, within the sports journalism community, I'm counting on to, to show leadership and to use my voice and to use whatever influence I have and and use it in a, in a judicious way. It's advocate for our members. Let me ask you about something in, in particular. When I was sort of researching this, you know, about your current job at, at the Athletic DC, you know, way back in April, you actually, I don't think it was in your role as the president, but as, as a member of the National Association of Black Journalists, you had, for lack of a better word on Twitter, you called out the Athletic and say, hey, you know, just did this sort of survey of, uh, you know, the makeup of, of your newsrooms. And these are the numbers that I'm seeing. And, you know, you were sort of challenging them to, to answer you and sort of address that. You know, what was your thinking behind that? Well, number one, you know, at that time, Athletic were, you know, they're rolling out their new business, which is, I applaud. You should promote, especially in the digital age, to, you know, raise your brain, raise your profile. But along that time, they kept taking, you know, showing pictures of the people who you're hiring. And I'm like, wait a minute. Um, it's white people, white men, mostly. <laughs> and a lot of journalists would email me like, Greg, what's going on here? Who to call? Who to talk to? Can you find out? So I just took it upon myself and said, let me do a scientific survey because <laughs> they, they had the information there. They put it out there. So they had on their website their entire staff names. They had their photos. They always announced who they hired. So I, just, I kept track. So until I got to a, a comfortable number and, and so I could get, you know, some real information. So I, then that's when I did the tweet because I actually – Last year, we solely called them out when they put out that All-American team of the college football team. We solely called attention to it, but no one, no one from the athletic responded to us or tried to work out with us. So I said, okay, I, I let it be. And, but then I started doing my research, and I said, this is really bad. So then that's my April tweet storm came out uh, because a lot of my members called me because they know that I have some influence. They know I know I know editors around the country, who you know, whatever. So I felt that. It was an appropriate time to do it, and I felt that this would actually have them respond to us. 
And our business numbers don't lie. And they couldn't really dispute my research. So they started opening their eyes in terms of their recruiting. They came to the NAHJ, the Hispanic group. So they started working with us. So when I first started talking with them and learning about who they were and stuff, look, our owners are venture capitalists. They're not journalists. Right. <laughs> so they had no idea how sports journalism or journalism in the industry works. So it was a lesson for them. And it was nothing, in no disrespect towards athletic and in that store. It was just about advocating for our members and making sure they get the opportunity because I was in a position in Boston. They saw that what I did in Boston. They saw what I did for advocacy just in sports journalism as a whole. So I just felt it was my responsibility and duty to represent my membership because even though I'm not the president anymore, I know kind of weight I carried in the industry. I seem to remember some of the tweets where there were actually people who tweeted out that, yeah, I'd interviewed for this job, but, you know, they didn't hire me. It wasn't just you, you know, talking with The Athletic. It was there were other people who weighed in on it and made it a, a bigger conversation. And then you, uh, you know, eventually you ended up being hired to uh, do The Athletic DC. Yeah, I never knew. Uh, you know, we talked just in general, just talking about helping them. After the whole tweet storm, we actually started talking and we got to know each other, had a good book of conversations. And then... Um, Actually, when I was living in Atlanta. They mentioned Atlanta, like make me possibly join Atlanta. Like I didn't want to live in Atlanta. I mean, in terms of that for that position with a building sports site, I know the Atlanta fans, they're not as strong. So, but when DC came up, I said we talked about that and it worked out. But I never thought I would be at the Athletic. My whole goal was to make sure that my constituents and um, not only just NABJ but NAHJ, AAJA, they came to me. <laughs> yeah. Members from those groups came to me and and asked to do something and. And lo and behold, that's what we did. And to the athletics credit, they've done a good job and they made a lot of uh, improvements and uh, still a long way to go. But same thing with newspapers. Newspapers, they lost a lot of people to the athletic. And that helped a lot of people who didn't have had chances to get jobs at newspapers once newspapers lost people to the athletic. So it's good to see that the industry has uh, made some strides. Uh, still a long way to go. But just knowing that what was accomplished uh, in April and opening people's eyes in terms of giving people opportunities. And now that's like I have a lot of great people there for the industry as a whole. It's good for the industry as a whole because you want to be able to diversify your readership, diversify your storytelling and tell stories that our readers want to see. So tell me about your role now at the athletic DC. Well, yeah. What is that? What is, what is it you're overseeing? What is it you're covering? So I oversee the coverage of, of DC sports and also Baltimore because Baltimore is right here. So our coordinate coverage of all the major sports, Redskins, Nationals, Today, we just announced our hire for our Nationals Beat, so we have a Nationals Beat reporter now. We cover the Wizards. And so in University of Maryland sports, we cover college sports, Virginia Tech, Virginia, uh, Navy, uh, Georgetown basketball, college sports. And we do the same thing in Baltimore. We cover the Orioles and we cover uh, the Ravens. So I'm in, I'm in charge of the team um, to manage both of those sites and uh, have good coverage for, uh, for both of those, those sites. And that's why my job to to manage all those things and making sure that we have the best content possible. When are we going to publish these things? What type of stories are we going to do? You know, we're in the building about building our team, building our audience, and and, and learning where to – because this is basically – we're still in the experimenting phase. So right now I'm trying to feel out my way of uh, covering this market. I mean, I covered this market when I used to work in the Washington Post 14 years ago. So but it's a whole different time now. So it's different because we're going against a big beast that is the Washington Post. Uh, so it's a different experience, but it's going to be a good challenge and I'm embracing it. This is a great market. I mean, you talked about before about them, you know, suggesting maybe Atlanta to you and, and here you are actually be, you know, situated between two markets with some teams that have very, some very rabid fans. I mean, Capitals fans and Ravens fans are pretty, yeah. 
the Caps fans are very engaging and very, uh, very, very passionate. Look, the Ravens fans are really, really, and 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 actually the Orioles. Just reading, you know, every story we write the Orioles, you see the fan comments, response to the stories. It's just fascinating to see how uh, the fans are very passionate in here. And if the Redskins keep stay consistent, the, their fan base is always here for the Redskins. It's it's uh yeah. But there's it, also a big appetite for the Nationals. And just reading the social media, like when are you gonna get a Nationals reporter? And so we finally got today, and we see the response on social media towards our new hire. It's encouraging to see that uh, that audience is looking, you know, looking forward to our coverage of the Nationals. So, what's your thought? I mean, you've been you've been working at, at newspapers up to up to now. What's your thought about this model of of an online subscription news uh, service for sports fans? My analogy in terms of subscription services, I look at okay, I can make this comparison. People, you know, they get tap water at home; it's kind of free, but you pay your water bill. But if you want a specialized service, you want you pay extra for a bottle of water. I look at subscriptions. You, you buy content for what you want. You should pay for content. Nothing should be free. I think the biggest mistake of newspapers in the 90s was, and in, in, in the, two, the early 2000s was that they were giving away their content, and content is a service. You should pay for it. But they were giving it away. They didn't really take pay attention to the Internet at that time. They were behind. And then giving away the content, once you kept giving away content, people got used to it. But now what we're doing at Athletic, we try and give content that, that newspapers can't really do because they're so busy turning out stories all the time to feed the beast, to get more clicks, to get more traffic, and instead of actually sitting back and giving more context to stories. So our whole goal at the Athletic is let the newspapers take care of the transactional stuff. Let them do the day-to-day stuff. Let's give it a read of specialized content, more thought-out pieces, so we give our reporters a little more time to actually write those stories. And I look at it as we're, we're not in competition with them. We just want to be a supplement to give specialized content, you know, successes are there so far are good, especially around the country, especially like, for example, what happened with the Warriors the last couple of weeks, if you saw what was going on with the Golden State Warriors situation with Durant and Draymond Green, those stories that our reporters did, the specialized coverage, really blew up. And then real, we had really good content. And a lot of, we have got a lot of subscribers just from what happened in Golden State <laughs> that week. So given, because our reporters are embedded, but they also have enough time to spend crafting those stories, spending more time to talk instead of trying to spin their wheels, trying to get the latest notebook in the newspaper or the website and feeding the beast. It's it's a harder grind in these newspapers than what we're trying to do. You know, it's actually kind of exciting because you were talking about the mistakes that newspapers made back in the 90s and the early 2000s. I think part of it was that, you know, the audience is expecting everything for free. And I think the audience has, has evolved as well. This idea that yeah, maybe I'll pay, you know, five bucks a month for Netflix or I'll pay three bucks for this subscription service. They're getting more used to the idea of, okay, I'll pay for specialized content. So there are these opportunities like like what you're doing that you're creating a, a unique experience that they can't get from their, their weekly newspaper or the daily newspaper, I should say, or even TV. They're more willing to, to pay for it. I think it's, People have gotten accustomed to paying for things now. Yeah, which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. You got to pay for things. I think every everyone feels you know you get what you pay for. I'm a big believer. You get what you pay for, and if you want to pay for a premium service, you want to deliver. So that's what I go that the athletic deliver on the type of stories that they, that they're looking for. Okay, one of the other things that you're involved in, I wanted to talk about was the Sports Journalism Institute. And that's something that, that's been set up to to help young journalists get into to newsrooms. Can you just sort of tell about tell me a little bit about the institute and your involvement in it? Yeah, the Sports Journalism Institute was founded. Uh, this first class was 1993, but it was actually founded at the Detroit Convention at the National Association of Black Journalists by two people, Leon Carter, 
who was uh, then an editor sports in, um, in, in newspapers and sports, and Sandy, then Sandy Bailey, who was an editor at SI, and they were you know, tired of seeing the lack of diversity in newsrooms. So they wanted to do something about it. So they did a proposal in Detroit. They got together and put a real detailed proposal of how they have a boot camp, have newspapers host these students. And what happened, where it was delivered was the, uh, the Freedom Forum, which is a foundation under Gannett, under USA Today, that whole chain. And we, they got $75,000 grant to host a three-week boot camp at, at a college. Then after you do the boot camp of having different speakers come in, put the students up from different colleges around the country, who apply, students from all over, minorities and women all over, to get this knowledge from different speakers and then go to the national convention where the sports editors were to actually cover the sports, to cover the convention and write stories. So that way, sports editors were exposed to those students to see and meet them and actually, when they graduate from college, hopefully hire them. So I was part of second class in 1994. So my three weeks, we flew to university. We went to Kansas University, spent two weeks there in intense boot camp at Kansas. We would get up at six, seven o'clock in the morning and read newspapers. So we had to read newspapers to learn current events. And then we got a test called Sports Check. So we watched Sports Center. We, watched, we, we picked up three newspapers, USA Today, the Kansas City Star, the Lawrence Journal World. We had to read everything, just take in what happened. Then we got tests thrown in at us. And you know, I'm, I feel probably a lot of my tests because there was just so much content to read at that time. But then we were write game stories. We got tests on writing game stories. We, they took us to a baseball stadium, went to Royal Stadium to cover the Kansas City Royals, exposed us to covering a game going to the clubhouse. So we, we had intense training from, from 6 a.m. to midnight for two weeks. And then we flew to California, a Dana Point, where the sports editors convention was. And we did four live newspapers covering just the, what happened at the sports editors convention. So it was a great experience. And after that, then we went off to our individual internships. I was at the commercial appeal for 13 weeks and I had a paid internship covering sports. So we've, over the last, we just had our 26th class and we have over 350 students. I came back to be an instructor full-time in 2002 and I've been doing it ever since. Right now we're going through our selection process now for the 27th class. So we've had a lot of great journals who come through the Sports Journal Institute. People like Marcus Thompson, who works for The Athletic, covers the War Golden State Warriors. He's also an author. He wrote the Steph Curry book called Golden. Uh, we have Jonathan Abrams, who works for... Uh, Police report, but he actually wrote the definitive book on the show, The Wire. So we have a lot of great journalists out there. Candace Buckner covers the, the Wizards for the Washington Post. You know, so we have people everywhere, ESPN, The Athletic, LA Times. We have alums everywhere. And we are a big network. We help each other out. We have a website. So anytime there's jobs opening, we share that information with each other. But we have over 350 graduates of the program. And I've been part of the program since in terms of as an instructor for 17, 18 years. And I came back because it helped me in my career. And I wouldn't be where I am without Leon Carter and Sandy Rosenbush. And uh, SJI uh, was honored by the University of Missouri with its honor medal for its work over, over the years. And we brought a lot of diversity in newsrooms. And APSC newspapers has been gracious in hosting us and hosting our interns because they, they, they host them, they pay them and uh, give them training. And then when they graduate, a lot of them go on to have great careers in journalism, sports journalism. I don't know if you mentioned this. There's also SJI's got this new partnership with the Arizona State. We um, are moving our campus uh, instruction to Arizona State. The last six, seven years, we've been at the University of Missouri. Uh, I'm going to go back to the beginning of the program. Our program used to be on college campuses. 
And then we would go to the convention with the sports editors. We did that for a number of years. And then we, we changed it up because we felt that the convention was a lot of distractions because sports editors wanted to meet our kids. But at the same time, it was taken away from the learning part of it. So we decided to uh, go to colleges and just do all the, tra the entire training there and still do the newspaper work from a remote area. So after we were done with the going to the convention, we went to Pointer Institute in, uh, in Florida, and we were there six, seven years and had the entire training there. And then after that, we moved on to the University of Missouri, and we had great uh, partnership there where we had access to the instructors, the campus facilities. And then there was a professor there, Dr. Scott Brooks, who was at the University of Missouri, and he came to speak to our students because he's, he's actually a sociologist, spoke about sports and, and society. And he was a, uh, Dr. Scott Brooks was really, really good in terms of speaking to our students about thinking about sports from that sport aspect. Then he moved on to Arizona State. <laughs> and the Arizona State's journalism program is actually on the rise. They've turned out a lot yeah. of great journals over the past few years. Uh, Chris Callahan, actually, who runs the dean there, actually, I ran across him when I used to teach at the University of Maryland. I was in that jump there, and he was an assistant dean there. So all the connections is all so funny. But Dr. Brooks talked to the journalism department there and said, hey, I know about the sports journalism program in Missouri. Do you have any interest of hosting them? So they start talking to our team, and one thing led to another. Now we're going to go to the Arizona State for the first time uh, this summer. Looking forward to teaching students there, using their facilities, having their great faculty actually share their time and knowledge with our students. So we're looking forward to our partnership at Arizona State. Cool. It sounds like a great uh, next transition for you guys. Now, earlier in the year, we, we had uh, Tim Grant from the Buffalo News who was talking about his NFL coverage and, and a lot of the stuff he's writing about. And one of the subjects that we discussed was, you know, he, he's written some serious stories about head injuries and, and also the kneeling uh, issue in the NFL. And we got into sort of this general discussion about how sports sometimes is, is not just, you know, a numbers uh, you know, it's not just about reporting numbers. It's actually writing about bigger stories. Is that something that you sort of see or that's becoming more common? Well, I think people forget that athletes are people, too. I mean, I think people are always think, people think when they think of athletes, oh, they're millionaires. They don't have any issues. They, they have all their problems are the goal way. And as you see, with a lot of stories out there, players who've gone through, you know, they, have fa they still have families. They've gone through different life experiences. When you look at the NBA, a lot of players are African-American. A lot of them, were, most of them are you know, African-American. A lot of them come from single-family homes. A lot of them come from places where a lot of fans don't understand or had that experience. And and when people see the NBA players do the things they do in the state of the state, because they've experienced it growing up. So I think you know, we tell the stories of what's going on on the court, but also we got to let the reader understand that athletes are people, too. They have a story to tell. Their stories actually shape their lives and how they actually play a sport. So I think that telling those type of stories are very, very important. It should not just be limited to on the court, on the field of play, but also their life experiences have shaped who they are today. And I think that's very important to their careers and how we chronicle them, good and bad. I think uh, those are the type of stories that we want to uh, bring attention to at The Athletic, that there are a lot of human interests. You know, players have... A lot of layers to themselves. It's not just limited to just being an athlete. Yeah, and also, I mean, you know, sometimes the players are put on pedestals. Sometimes that they're they're seen as advocates, or you know, what is the word I'm thinking of? Um, Spokespeople, or yeah, that they're. I think people think that well, since we pay for these tickets and pay for us, we pay you to do this, and that's fine. 
you could say as one fan that says, well, I pay you to be an athlete to do X, Y, and Z. You shouldn't delve into sports or politics or whatever. But that's your perspective. But they live a different life. They have different experiences. And I think people, you know, different people have different experiences. And I think COVID people start appreciating that. And I think that's, you know, we've seen what LeBron James has done over the years, been a model, model professional, a model leader, but he's also been a role model. And he's a person who actually gives back and has done a lot of things because growing up, he didn't have certain things and he saw what he didn't have. So he has a platform to do the things that he's doing and to actually get back to his community in Akron. I think it's very commendable what he's done. And I think a lot of people should commend what he has done because it's shaped on his it's shaped on his own life experiences. And I think that if a regular fan had those type of life experiences and had the access he's did, he has done, I'm sure that you go back and do the same things he's doing within the life experiences you had growing up. Right. And, you know, there's this idea that, oh, well, you're a millionaire. So you a you don't have a right to, to speak this or that you don't have any you know, real perspective on it. These people weren't born millionaires. They became athletes because of, of a lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifice. And that's not always apparent by just viewing them as, you know, these multi-million dollar properties. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, Gregory, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been really fascinating. No problem. It's, it's uh, fascinating to have this conversation. I always like to talk journalism and talk about the thing I love sports journalism. And I, and I get paid to watch sports and uh, it's, I'm very blessed and, an honor to have that and uh, to work at the athletic is uh, is great because it's I cover all the sports and this is like my boyhood dream. This is something I'm very excited about and very excited what the athletic is going to do and is doing right now. So it's, uh, it's very fun to do. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. It's 2019 and why don't you make a New Year's resolution to sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? you get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to produce an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Amio Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.